The government has clearly lost control of the economy. We are looking at a Conservative majority of 86. Why is the Prime Minister making a bad situation worse for working people by hammering them with a cut to universal credit and a tax rise? I actually think that this is a win-win. It's, a, it's a, an open goal for Liz Trust, really. Will you Who shut is up, man? said it on the record. You said and, you want to... Right, and no. just to cut no. in on something that you said bringing you the stories behind the headlines. You're listening to Politics Unboxed. Well, hello there, and welcome. This is Politics Unboxed here on Expression FM. My name is Reese Wallace, and welcome to the show. We have two hours of politics and news for you today, and there is plenty to get our teeth into, whether it's talking about Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock who went toe-to-toe in the Georgia Senate runoff yesterday, or whether it's talking about Rishi Sunak, Matt Hancock, Baroness Moan, yeah, plenty of stories this side of the pond. Uh, Also, we're talking about Germany, where there is um, really uh, quite a, quite a, A weird coup plan that has been busted recently by the police. Uh, We'll also talk, of course, somewhere in the list about Northern Ireland, where the Northern Irish Assembly has been recalled for a record fifth time in the course of one parliamentary sitting. It doesn't look like it's going to have any uh, actual positives for Northern Ireland, though, yet. Um, Because... Well, they're not going to elect their speaker. Doesn't look like it's going to be happening. Right then. Let's start. And let's start in the United Kingdom. Because in order to begin today's show, we're going to talk about Prime Minister's questions. Um, Rishi Sunak has been talking and, and talking quite loudly about the, uh, the the prospect of well um, the the prospect of new anti-strike laws, Rishi Sunak telling MPs at PMQs he's been working for new tough laws to protect people from the disruption caused by strikes. Now, in a clarificatory statement after PMQs, Rishi Sunak's official spokesperson said the government's new uh, measures and that work is ongoing, but has not provided any level of timeline for what the laws or powers might be. Now, we've seen recently that the RMT are going to be calling their members out on strike. Ambulance workers are going to strike. Rail workers are also set to strike on Christmas Eve itself, as well as postal workers and uh, nurses as well. Let's have a look. Who is striking when in the run-up to Christmas? So we have rail strikes on the, what's that, the 13th, 14th, 16th, 17th, 18th, and then 25th, 4th, 3rd, and 2nd. So 22nd to 25th there for rail. Royal Mail on December the 1st, we've already seen. Uh, We'll see the 9th and the 11th, the 14th, the 15th, and then the 22nd and 23rd. Buses have seen a four-day strike in some areas 
already for the first four days of December, with the 9th and 10th of December also affected, and the 16th and 17th. Nurses will be walking out on the 15th and the 20th. Highway workers on the 16th, 17th, 22nd, 23rd, 24th and 25th. Driving examiners for... I'm not quite sure why, but evidently there is some reason here. From the... What's that? The 10th, 11th, the 13th through to the 24th of December. Teachers in Scotland have been walking out. This is a day one of a two-day walkout for teachers and Heathrow baggage handlers employed by Menzies Aviation will be walking out on the 16th, 17th and 18th of December. So, yes, this is incredibly disruptive. However, the the point of a strike is to be disruptive, uh, would you not say? Uh, it, it really is something quite ridiculous if they hadn't thought this through. Uh, the rail sector, we've seen postal deliveries, bus services, teaching. Uh, the RMT is involved in two separate sets of talks. Um, one with Network Rail and one with train operating companies, so things like uh, Southern or uh, the, the Rail Delivery Group, who represent 14 other train companies. They've been in those talks and they really have been going nowhere. Now, we know that, that Rishi Sunak thinks that this disruption is due to sort of union intransigence, essentially. Uh, he said nearly uh, as, as much. Um, Rishi Sunak saying that these are unreasonable union walkouts. Now, that very much depends on where you put the definition of unreasonable, because I think some of these these union members will find it very reasonable that they are walking out after decades a decade of, of pay stagnation. Um, and I, I really don't quite understand where Rishi Sunak is coming from in, in that particular regard. If he wants to point out individual uh, individual cases where he feels people are being unreasonable, then he's more than welcome to, but at present, he's not so far doing that. Let's let's talk about um, the rest of Prime Minister's questions, though, because after having my own Member of Parliament from my home constituency up on his feet last time out. There was no such uh, return to Prime Minister's questions for Sir Paul Beresford. In fact, I couldn't see him in the chamber today. Um, and I mean, to be honest, the the initial question from the, the very much sort of... What's the word? What's the word? Um, friendly members of Parliament. It's normally quite a friendly first question. Certainly question number one is very friendly because it's the same question every week. But um, question number two didn't really have any bites. Let's skip straight on to the Labour leader, Sakir Starmer, who was straight in uh, with a question about housing targets. Um, holding the government to account over the fact the government has promised to build 300,000 houses a year. But... This week, Rishi Sunak turned around and went, no, we're going to be scrapping those mandatory building targets. So what's changed? Well, Keir Starmer says 
What do you have to say for yourself, Rishi? Rishi Sunak says, well, actually, Kia, you haven't read the details. The government uh, is defending themselves, saying they are protecting the Greenbelt, investing millions to develop brownfield sites and providing support and protection for local neighbourhood plans. He then quoted the uh, the shadow housing secretary, who, when doing the, the media rounds this morning, had said that communities should have control over where homes are being built and of what sort. That is what the government deems their position to be. Now, as as always, it is a little bit more convoluted than that. However, when the government has made a, a very merry song and dance about just how important mandatory building targets have been over the course of their last few years in government, it, it really does look like a little bit of a, a slap in the face when they turn around and go, well, actually, no, they can go now. So... It is possible to have these two at the same time. Protecting the Greenbelt and uh, developing on brownfield sites looks like the the way to go forward. That is with community control. It feels a bit like to me when uh, when Liz Truss was was telling everyone about the um, what's the word um, those those fracking community local assent policies. When Liz Truss did that disastrous round on uh, the BBC local radio stations, and I. Really, whoever advised her to do that probably got fired before she did, because that really was disastrous. Um, But this has the same sort of style of questioning uh, with the same style of answer. It will happen where there is community support. Now, Keir Starmer said that Sunak's backbenchers threatened him over housing targets, and um, in a nickname that I'm not certain will stick, he has called... Rishi Sunak, the Blamange Prime Minister. And the Blamange Prime Minister wobbled after those backbenchers threatened him. Sunak shoots right back. He accused the Labour leader of indulging in petty personality politics rather than substance. He says the government is having to protect the character of local communities, cracking down on what's called land banking. So that's almost the, the sort of the speculation where you buy a plot of land and hope it just goes up and up and up in price and then sell it off to the highest bidder and giving local people a greater say in planning decisions. Now, this is all sort of looking very much forward at the next general election, which is exactly why um, there is this big back and forth around housing. Now, Rishi Sunak has been going back and forth saying that Labour don't have the record on housing. I went on to say in London, Boris Johnson built 60,000 affordable homes in five years. The current Labour mayor built half that amount. In Wales, the Conservatives want to build 12,000 homes, but Labour are delivering half of that. And in a way that really doesn't feel like sort of style over substance, um, Rishi Sunak then said that Labour Party talks, the Conservatives deliver. So, here we are. Let's check that fact. Did Boris Johnson really build twice as many homes as Sadiq Khan in five years? Well, no, is the actual answer. But it is still not a great statistic for reflection under Labour's control. So Boris Johnson's final five years as mayor from 2011 to 2016 saw 56,326 homes built classified as affordable. And rather, those are homes completed rather than homes built. So if they broke ground, then it wouldn't count. But if it was completed and ready for sale, then they would. In the last five years, as London mayor, 
uh, Labour's Sadiq Khan has overseen 37,999 homes completed that are classified as affordable. So we're looking at about two-thirds as many. Now, that is more for Boris Johnson, yes. Um, Although the same sort of caveats always end up going back and forward between sides. We've seen um, that the, the, the Prime Minister and the Conservative Party have been saying, well, coronavirus and COVID is responsible for a lot of slowed down targets. Well, the Labour Party will say the same. Things weren't going on at the same rate in London. Also, it is important to note that this is not necessarily a reflection on Sadiq Khan's policies over the fullness of those five years. You would have been seeing the the after effects of some Boris Johnson policies in the first few years of Sadiq Khan's mayoralty. As you always do, there is a little bit of time lag when you're making a new decision, which is why it's probably more representative to look at Boris Johnson's figures from that 2011 to 2016 period than it is to look at Sadiq Khan's figures from 2016 to 2021, which is when we have the last set of complete figures for. So, let's continue moving on as we deal with that little bit of of facts and move on to a different area. Um, Baroness Moan. Now, I must admit, I didn't have a clue who Baroness Moan was before today's Prime Minister's questions, or rather, uh, before the news started to break around what would be covered in today's Prime Minister's questions. Now, Baroness Moan has been taking a leave of absence from the House of Lords since yesterday in order to, according to her spokesman, clear her name of the allegations that have been unjustly levelled against her. The Lord's standard watchdog is investigating the peer over her alleged involvement in procuring contracts for PPE MedPro. This has been paused, however, whilst the matter is reportedly under investigation by the police or another agency as part of a criminal investigation, which we do now believe has happened. Now, PPE MedPro won government contracts worth £203 million over the coronavirus pandemic to supply masks and medical gowns, and Baroness Moan recommended it to ministers. An investigation by The Guardian, which is based on leaked documents, alleged that Baroness Moan has financially benefited from the company. Now, Keir Starmer went straight in for the jugular on this issue, saying to the Prime Minister, how did his colleague Baroness Moan end up with nearly £30 million of taxpayers' money in her bank account? Uh, Now, obviously, with this being uh, an ongoing process of a legal investigation, there is very little that can be said without sort of perjuring that uh, or bringing it into into contempt, breaking the due process. Richard Sunak did say, the one thing we know about him is he's a lawyer. He should know there is a process in place. It is right that that process concludes, and I hope it is resolved promptly, before going on to add, like everyone else, I was absolutely shocked to read about the allegations. It is absolutely right that she is no longer attending the House of Lords and therefore no longer has the Conservative whip. So, whilst this does look like Rishi Sunak has sort of gone in and went, nope, let's remove the whip from Baroness Moan, it is actually an automatic consequence of her requesting a leave of absence from the House of Lords, according to the Downing Street team. Um, 
Baroness Moan has consistently denied any role or function in PPE MedPro, and her lawyers have previously said she is not connected to PPE MedPro in any capacity. Now, this does mean that we are we are finding out very soon whether or not the government have any documentation on this because Labour won a vote in the Commons yesterday uh, where the government were committed to releasing documents to members of parliament surrounding the award of contracts to the PPE MedPro firm, which, well, 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 uh, could have some damning consequences for the Baroness in question. It doesn't look like the Prime Minister will get caught up in guilt by association, but... Guilt by association is a real thing. Uh, We've seen it before, especially if you look back to 1997 when you have all these sleaze allegations sort of hurtling around the cash for questions uh, related to Neil Hamilton, the MP for Tatton at the time. That sort of spiralled and spiralled and spiralled. And it is very, very possible that we could see a, a continuous drip, drip, drip coming out of the government as we now start to get information and ideas around how contracts during the coronavirus pandemic were handed out. Because the more we see of them, the the less believable stories that everything was done above board tend to become. Let's have a look. Um, we will have a look up. Uh, Rishi Sunak said he was shocked to read about the allegations from Baroness Moan. But here we are. Keir Starmer said everyone can see what's happening here. A Tory politician got their hands on millions of pounds of taxpayers' money and then provided duff PPE. And he says he's shocked. He was the Chancellor. He signed the cheques. How much is he going to get back? Now, of course, that's not going to be something Rishi Sunak's going to answer in Prime Minister's question. This is very much parliamentary grandstanding from the Leader of the Opposition, But that's sort of his job at the moment. Whilst we live in this adversarial political world, you should very much expect to see political grandstanding because it plays well. If you hit the right note, then it will be successful. Um, Just to return back to that, uh, to the, what's the word, the the union-busting legislation. Uh, Keir Starmer was able to point out during Prime Minister's questions, this was actually later on chronologically, which is uh, why I, I ended up, missing it out in my original review of the, the unions. Uh, Kiss on point out the Transport Secretary, Mark Harper, has admitted the government's flagship legislation is clearly not going to help with the current round of industrial action. Uh, and before that, Starmer has said that Sunak should stop grandstanding, stop sitting on his hands, and get round the negotiating table to resolve their problem. Now, Rishi Sunak responded to that, saying the government has been reasonable, accepted the recommendations from independent pay bodies, giving pay rises, in some cases higher than the private sector. He continued that if unions are being unreasonable, it is his duty to take action to protect the lives and livelihoods of the British public. Um, and I mean, this is... This is clearly going to be something that, that barrels on and on. Uh, we've already seen the unions have been... Um, gutted in recent decades by a succession of Conservative Prime Ministers and not bolstered by Labour Prime Ministers. So it does look like the the power of, of the unions is, is coming to a wane. However, will this prove to be 
a consistent rise in people's belief in unionism on a on a union scale rather than on the United Kingdom. Um, who knows? Who really knows? We, we will have to wait and see. One other question that was raised. Um, strep A. There are a higher number of Strep A cases this year after a recent outbreak. Um, the Labour leader asked Richard Sunak with his final question. Can he update the country on the measures being taken to keep children safe this winter? Richard Sunak said his thoughts are with the families of children who have lost their lives and that there are a higher number of Strep A cases this year, but that the NHS is working very hard to make parents aware of the symptoms. At the moment, there is no current shortage of antibiotics and there are procedures to make sure that is the case. There is no new strain of Strep A and it can therefore be treated with existing antibiotics. So a little bit of a positive at the end there. Uh, this isn't anything new, therefore it can be dealt with using existing stock. Um, so there we are from the questions from the leader of the opposition. To turn now to the questions from the leader of the Scottish National Party, Stephen Flynn making his PMQ's debut, um, was able to, to pay tribute to his predecessor, Ian Blackford, said he's seen off three Tory prime ministers. Well, Ian Blackford himself is off, out the door. For Stephen Flynn's first question to the Prime Minister, from his position as leader of the Scottish National Party, and therefore the sort of minority opposition party, if that makes sense, they are the, the second largest in the opposition, His Majesty's rather most loyal opposition. It's still weird saying that. Um, his question to Rishi Sunak was, what does he see as the Conservatives' greatest achievement since entering government in 2019? Now, there was plenty that was happening uh, recently. Rishi Sunak began his answer by congratulating Stephen Flynn on his appointment and paying tribute to Ian Blackford. But then, uh, Rishi Sunak said that he is most proud of protecting the public from COVID. Um, now, that goes contrary to a lot of the documentation that was leaked during the time uh, where it was said that he was sort of on the, well, let's open up and, and sort of throw caution to the wind sort of thing. So if it was up to him, maybe the public wouldn't have been quite so protected from coronavirus. Um, there's there's plenty of other alternatives. In fact, Stephen Flynn, when he was asking that question, proffered a couple of, uh, of suggestions related to issues around Brexit and the continued denial of any Scottish indie ref to vote. Um, not that they were ever going to get taken seriously as uh, as answers from the Prime Minister. For a second question, however, uh, Mr Flynn highlighted a poll saying that support for the SNP is now north of 50%. Um, he asked Richie Sunak whether increasing energy bills in Scotland will cause those poll numbers to rise or to fall. Well, obviously, uh, Rishi Sunak said the government is going to be putting in money to support those uh, over the winter with £55 billion in energy bill support, saving the typical household apparently £900. Now, I haven't got anything to, to back that up or to counter it, so we're, we're going to take that one uh, with a pinch of salt. With more support for the most vulnerable, according to the Prime Minister, which is an example of the UK delivering for Scotland, according to Rishi Sunak. 
To turn from one devolved area to another, Northern Ireland uh, and Alliance MP Stephen Farry uh, has been commenting on the slow rate of progress on talks over the Northern Irish Assembly deadlock. Now, we will be having a bit more of a segment on this later in the show, but the, the MP from Northern Ireland urged the Prime Minister to visit Stormont before the end of the year, but Rishi Sunak didn't say yes, didn't say no, crucially didn't say no. Uh, he assured Mr Farry that he wants to see issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol resolved and will take on board the suggestions to visit and discuss issues in person. Now, let's let's see. I've, I've been having a look uh, and, and looking sort of up and down the, the rest of the questions, and I think those are all the ones that get the, the, the biggest click, really. Uh, Ian Byrne called for the introduction of universal free school meals. Four million children in the UK currently going hungry. Rishi Sunak saying, well, no, you're right to highlight the issue of access to food, but I'm proud of the government's expansion of free school meals. That's not an answer. Uh, He was also quizzed about free-to-use cash machines. Siobhan McDonough uh, was asked, or asked the Prime Minister, rather, how do you ensure people have free access to hard-earned money? Saying free cash machines are disappearing, with high street banks hitting the most vulnerable hardest. Rishi Sunak says it's a priority. Now, I know we talked about the uh, high street banks, uh, specifically HSBC, going away from a lot of local areas last week. Cash machines often go with them. You're quite right, Ms. McDonough. Uh, access to cash is important, says the Prime Minister, and apparently it's a priority. A bill going through Parliament right now represents a significant intervention. Uh, but this access to cash being important highlights work done by the government to ensure cash machines in deprived communities are subsidised. That according to the Prime Minister. But to be honest, it, it wasn't the, the most difficult Prime Minister's questions uh, that have been that have been happening for Rishi Sunak. I mean, we've seen the allegations uh, against Baroness Moan. Obviously, that's not questions he'd like to be answering, but they're questions he, he seemed to answer quite well. Um, but he was supported quite audibly by the Conservative backbenches. It seems back to the, the boisterous Boris boom, um, but now it's... It's Rishi leading the way. We've seen how Conservative MPs and backbenchers can drain their support away from Conservative Prime Ministers and how damaging that can be to Conservative Prime Ministers. It looks like Rishi Sunak has brought some stability to his party. Uh, Whether or not you believe he's bringing stability and surety to the government, well, there have been a number of different uh, major concessions, onshore wind and house-building targets, both Banned the manifesto, now back. Uh, or rather, the, the, they've scrapped the house building targets, but onshore wind farms have seen some big concessions recently against what was said in the Tory manifesto. Um, but whether or not we're going to see delivery of these big-ticket agenda items, that's very much yet to be determined. Rishi Sunak, of course, only been in the job for just over a month. Um it feels like a much sort of shorter month than than we've seen previously because obviously Liz Truss only lasting those 49 days it felt like every day was hours and hours of of working things out just to try and find out what was going on in this conservative government 
But now we we seem to be into a, another rhythm of just nice and calm, at least on the conservative back benches. Um, let's use this time uh, to go for a song break. Because, yeah, you may well have noticed it's the festive season. Uh, we're coming up to Christmas. It's the 7th of December. It's just gone at half past two here on Wednesday, 7th December 2022. And, you know, I, I don't think some people know. I really don't think some people know that it's very nearly Christmas. A little bit Christmassy there. Oh, Holy Night by Il Devo, which was preceded by Do They Know It's Christmas, the 1984 original Band-Aid version. Um, there we go. We've we've welcomed in the Christmas season because, you know, you just got to do it. You've got to welcome in the Christmas season, otherwise it will envelop you. And we're in December already. You should be well on your way through your advent calendars. You should be really thinking about how you're going to get those those presents underneath the tree, uh, thinking about what's going on your Christmas lists. Santa will be coming round. Santa will be coming round indeed. And Santa has delivered a present to Democrats in America and in Georgia specifically because Raphael Warnock wins. The U.S. Senate seat, a hard-fought Senate seat to extend Democratic control over the United States Senate. And I mean, you'll notice a tone of slight incredulity in my voice there because I did not think that was going to happen. I mean, I really, really didn't think it was going to happen because you just don't normally see people getting uh, a lead in their their first sort of presidential midterm. And yet, as it is, there is only one gain in the entirety of these elections, and it is in Pennsylvania for the Democrats, John Fesserman beating Dr. Mehmet Oz. So with this win, Raphael Warnock becomes the 51st Democratic senator in the next United States Senate meaning they will have so much uh, of the the political agenda slightly more their way because we've already seen uh, in the past that there have been a couple of senators who have been more obstructionary than than helpful, really, if you look at Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema on the Democratic side from uh, West Virginia and Arizona, respectively. They'll both still be there, so there is the potential to make things harder than they are already. But it looks like the Democrats will have a slightly better control over the Senate. Uh, Raphael Warnock's projected win has come through a very narrow margin. Um, With 99% of the estimated vote in, he has 50.8%. Herschel Walker, 49.2%. That's according to Edison Research. It's very, very close. Very, very close. Now, Raphael Warnock was already the first black senator in the Deep South uh, ever when he won his seat in January 2021. That was the first time he won his seat. He's won it again just under two years later, telling his victory party in Atlanta, 
it is my honour to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. Her mother, uh, sorry, his mother rather, was given a, a shout out, a special thank you, saying uh, she grew up in the 1950s picking someone else's cotton in Georgia. Tonight, she had helped pick her youngest son to be a United States senator. What a great bit of oratory. Uh, this man is quite clearly a, a very good speaker. Now, he is and has been for quite a while a, a reverend in the Baptist church, a 53-year-old Southern Baptist preacher. His Atlanta church was once led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So the the roads he walks are, are paved uh, and cemented with the, the footsteps and, and journeys of, of those who've come before, whether that's in the Senate or in his religious work. But he has really run with it. He has picked up the football to use a, a college football or NFL metaphor, which is going to be particularly painful to Herschel Walker, who was a college football Hall of Famer. Um, He picked up the ball, he ran with it. He is now a United States Senator, again, from the state of Georgia. Herschel Walker hasn't explicitly conceded. Um, It's it's a very weird time to be thinking about politics, especially in America, as, well, quite frankly, not many people are conceding if they're wearing red. Carrie Lake hasn't conceded in Arizona. Uh, Blake Masters hasn't conceded in Nevada. Dr. Oz hasn't officially conceded in, in Pennsylvania, realistically, even though everybody knows that John Fetterman is going to be the next United States senator from the state. Um, Donald Trump, of course, never conceded the 2020 presidential election. Now Herschel Walker hasn't officially conceded the senate race here but it is done and dusted realistically um i can't lie he made this a lot closer than a lot of punters thought it would be especially at the start of the race when there was a a multi-point poll lead for the reverend Raphael warnock that poll lead narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and then eventually went away so by polling day the first time round um actually herschel walker's poll numbers were ahead of Raphael Warnock's. Now, the Reverend pulled out a lead against Mr. Walker in the original race, but because neither candidate made it to the 50% threshold, there was a runoff, a direct runoff, head-to-head, uh, head, and 50.8 to 49.2. Raphael Warnock returns as the United States Senator. Herschel Walker's campaign was a bit of a mess, realistically. Um, he put up one heck of a fight, but when your dog bite claims that you've paid for two of your former girlfriend's abortions, despite calling for the procedure to be outlawed, when you've been dogged by allegations, uh, and not even allegations, but when you've been forced to reveal that you've fathered three children that he's never mentioned publicly before, after having long railed against absentee fathers, it's going to take a bit of a hit. And I think we've seen today that the support he got in the... Um, in the original round may have been down in in a, in a part at least to people turning out and saying look 
I'm already voting for Governor Brian Kemp. Now I'm going to vote for Herschel Walker. So it's a sort of, I'll hold my nose and vote for the good of the party. This second time around, it had to be Herschel Walker or stay home, really. Because anyone who was waving about Herschel Walker or uh, wavering and thinking, oh, hang on, I don't know, do I, can I, what do I do now, would probably have gone, actually, I might as well put my cross in the box or stamp a hole through the, the, the butterfly paper of Raphael Warnock's voting ticket. So it was a, a very hard one to sell for the, the Republicans in Georgia for this turnout. Now, voting numbers, the turnout was quite good, really. Uh, Gabri- Gabriel Sterling has said that there's been record turnout across the board. He was an election official in Georgia. Uh, a record 1.9 million Georgians had already cast early or postal ballots for this election, and on Tuesday alone, it was 1.4 million. Now, President Biden and former President Donald Trump noticeably stayed away from this particular race. And that's probably a very good thing for the president and a very bad thing for the former president. Because this was still his candidate. Donald Trump had basically picked Herschel Walker, backed him as he fought a a tough primary against more mainstream GOP Republican backers. Um, And yet they have lost. And more importantly, they didn't really want him around anyway. Um, They didn't want him around. President Biden now has uh, a Senate with an actual majority rather than the 50-50 that would have depended on the vice president's tie-breaking vote, a procedure he knows all too well about having been vice president in a tied Senate briefly back in the Obama presidency. Um, But here we are, the Democrats, whilst they've lost control of the House, have actually secured things a bit in the Senate. So what a world politics is, really. What a world. We've seen Nancy Pelosi retire. We've seen calls for Chuck Schumer to retire and resign had this gone wrong. Looks like Mr. Schumer, the Democratic Senate majority leader, is going to be safe for a little bit, at least. Something I've just seen, something I've just seen pop up on my my timeline here um, from the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, saying, and actually I, I can't follow the link. I can't follow the link anymore, which is very annoying. So I won't bring that to you yet. I won't bring that to you yet because I want to make sure everything's uh, definitely Definitely all fine. But um, there's an interesting story popping up there. But let's let's talk about somebody who won't be fighting the next general election, whereas, of course, Keir Starmer has to worry about that. Uh, and Matt Hancock, who's going to be standing down as a member of parliament at the next general election. Oh, what a shame. Um, now, he was already suspended as a Conservative member of parliament and lost the whip after taking part in the ITV reality show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. But in a letter to Rishi Sunak, Matt Hancock has said he has discovered a whole new world of possibilities which he's excited to explore. He added that politicians need to find new ways to reach people outside Parliament. 
Well, I mean, one is with a wandering right hand down the back of an eight. No, hang on. Um, Matt Hancock concluded his letter saying it's been an honour to serve in Parliament and represent the people of West Suffolk. Now, that sounds a lot like a I'm going straight away sort of thing. But no, he's still got a couple of years left in him, really. Um, it's, it's well, I, I don't know. Matt Hancock looks like he went on to I'm a Celebrity to gain some forgiveness. I mean, he certainly said that to Scarlett Douglas when he was in the jungle. Um, Hancock told the other contestants he was just looking for a little bit of forgiveness. Well, with a £40,000 fee, he can get whatever he wants, mate. Still just less than 18 months ago, Matt Hancock was caught on camera with uh, Gina Colodangelo breaking the social distancing guidance he'd helped to create. Then, he presided over a hospital discharge policy at the start of a pandemic that saw some elderly patients just discharged into care homes, uh, allowing the rapid spread of disease through care homes with thousands of residents dying in the first stages of the pandemic. Um, Is reality TV now the way that we atone for monumentally reckless governmental decisions? No. Um, I mean, it wasn't even Matt Hancock sort of failing, really. He wasn't necessarily humiliated because some people just didn't watch it because he was in it. Um, And he was actually, apparently, I didn't watch it, quite good at the trials. Um, He just did things. He ate uh, a a selection of of body parts that uh, aren't normally on the menu, from a camel, a sheep, and a cow. But if they were looking for humiliation, Matt Hancock wasn't really humiliated. Um, it, it just didn't really work there. Some newspapers have reported a behind-the-scenes PR campaign for Ghana support for housemates. And, I mean, maybe dropping him in at the last minute meant that some contestants who reacted sort of frostily to the politician entering the jungle, um, well, they were voted out before him. Chris Moyles, who was very, very anti-Matt Hancock, went, nope. He went before him. Um, Now, whether Matt Hancock is genuine, or whether this is an attempt to... uh, get a PR boom. Who knows? Uh, But he's certainly not the first politician to try and reinvent himself in reality TV. George Galloway on Big Brother. Um, Ed Balls on Strictly Come Dancing. Now, that worked. Ed Balls is now sort of big enough in the media. Uh, He's he's got his own shows. He does his own things. But George Galloway... um, he was pretending to be a cat on Celebrity Big Brother. I mean, that's a former MP I don't think we'll see again in the House of Commons. Um, neither Balls nor Galloway, though, have really sunk to the levels of hatred that Hancock has. 
He fell very far, very fast. Took a big gamble. Maybe, maybe he's got some hope in the future as a media personality. Um, but I, I don't know. I think there's a long, long way to go. Let's have a look at some other stories that are going on up and down the country. But first, as always, if if you want to get involved in the show, what have you got to do? Express yourself. Express yourself with Expression Hotline. Call Expression. Call 01392 Tell us what you want to hear. We might even get your voice on the airwaves. So pick up the phone and get ringing. Express yourself. There we go. Express yourself with Expression Hotline 01392 Um That's that's how we get in touch if you want to hear your voice on the radio or get in touch at politics.unboxed on Instagram at politicsu on Twitter, politics unboxed on Facebook. Um, there we go. Plenty, uh, plenty of things to continue to get involved in and... Let's kick that off in Germany. Because there's been a rather curious conspiracy happening in that European nation. Germany has arrested 25 members of a coup plot, including a minor aristocrat, Heinrich the Thirteenth, Prince Heinrich the Thirteenth, who is... 71 years old, allegedly central to their plans. According to federal prosecutors, a group of far-right and ex-military figures are said to have been preparing for a day X to storm the Reichstag parliament building and seize power, overthrowing the government in the process. According to federal prosecutors, Heinrich XIII is among one of two alleged ringleaders, uh, constituting part of those arrested across 11 German states. Uh, the the plotters are said to include members of the extremist Reichsbürger movement, or citizens of the Reich, which has long been the sites of German police over a history of violent attacks and racist conspiracy theories who refuse to recognise the modern German state. Alongside Reichsbürger forces, uh, other suspects came from within QAnon, who believe their country is in the hands of a mythical deep state involving secret powers pulling political strings. Uh, we've seen what QAnon can do when they get a, a mob behind them. That was sort of January the 6th. Now, Nancy Faeser, uh, the interior minister, so Germany's version of their home secretary, has assured Germans that the authorities would respond with the full force of the law against what they've called enemies of democracy. Uh, an estimated 50 men and women are alleged to have been a part of this group looking for day X, with 25 of them arrested. Uh, They're said to have plotted the overthrow of the Republic and replace it with a new state modelled on the Germany of 1871. Now that was the Second Reich. So obviously when you're thinking about the, the German empires you you have the, the First Reich which is the Holy Roman Empire, the Second Reich which is when Germany itself gets constituted in 1871 uh, under Kaiser Wilhelm I who was the, the grandfather of Kaiser Wilhelm II from the First World War infamy. 
Uh, and then, after the, the overthrow of the Second Reich in 1918, you have a break for the Weimar Republic before the Third Reich, which is obviously infamous for being the, the vessel through which Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party were able to uh, organise Germany. So the, the Second Reich is sort of... I'm not quite certain why they're, they're thinking of going back to that one. I guess some, some form of monarchical or aristocratic power. Um, now, there were dawn raids today by the, the federal police force, one of the biggest anti-extremism operations in modern German history. 3,000 officers took part in 150 operations in 11 of Germany's 16 states, uh, with two people also arrested in Austria and Italy. However, almost half of the arrests took place in the southern states of Baden-Württemberg and Bavaria. Now, Marco Buschmann, who is the Justice Minister, tweeted that suspected armed attack on constitutional bodies have been planned. Um, now, this is... I mean, this is mental. Um, let's go back and have a look at some of the other things that have uh, that have happened, really. Um, the Federal Prosecutor's Office has said that the group, the Reichsbürger, have been plotting a violent coup since November 2021, and members of its Central Rat, or Council, uh, had held regular meetings about it. They were planning to rule Germany with departments on health, justice and fraud. This is a comprehensive governmental plan. Um, now, members have been plotting and planning, realising they can only re- realise their goals by military means and violence against state representatives, which they are said to have admitted carried uh, includes carrying out killings. Investigators got wind of the group when they uncovered a kidnap plot last April involving a gang calling themselves the United Patriots, who are also part of the Reichsburger scene and has allegedly planned to abduct the health minister, Karl Lauterbach, whilst creating civil war conditions to bring an end to Germany's democracy. Now, all of this as well, um, a former... AFD member, Alternative for Deutschland, a member of the lower house of parliament, the Bundestag in Germany, is suspected of being part of the plot. And uh, sort of, I guess, sensibly, they were lining somebody up to be their justice minister. But Birgit Marsak-Winkermann, who is amongst the 25 arrested, returned to her role as a judge last year after losing her seat in the elections. And the court has turned down attempts uh, to dislodge her. This lawyer uh, was going to be the, um, the the justice minister of a brand new German state for a group called the, the Reichsbürger who don't agree with the German state, but yet this person served in the Bundestag. Malsak Winkermann served... Birgit Malsak Winkermann was a representative in the Bundestag, thereby acknowledging that the German state exists. The logical fallacies and contradictions in here are quite simply staggering. There was also a prominent lawyer penciled in to handle foreign affairs, with Prince Heinrich taking over the role as a sort of Kaiser figure. I mean... This is mental. Uh, Heinrich XIII comes from an old noble family, the House of Reuss, which uh, ruled over the place where we would now call Thuringia. Um... Uh, until 1918, when the sort of dukedal titles were removed from Germany. 
Now, all male members of the family were given the name Heinrich and a number. <laughs> Sorry. That's just lazy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, what's your name? Heinrich. What was your dad's name? Heinrich. What's your son's name? Heinrich. Now, descendants still own a few castles. Heinrich himself, Heinrich XIII, that is, ha has a hunting lodge at Bad Lobenstein in Thuringia. Now, the rest of the family have very swiftly distanced themselves, calling Heinrich XIII an at times confused man who had fallen for misconceptions fueled by conspiracy theories. Now, this isn't just talking about a, a shadow government led by Heinrich XIII. Um, the plotters allegedly had plans for a military arm run by this second ringleader, who is identified Rudiger von P, or Rudiger von P. Uh, this is active and former members of the military, officials believe, and includes ex-soldiers from special units, with this military arm having the aim of eliminating democratic bodies at a local level. Now, Rudiger von P is suspected of trying to recruit police officers in northern Germany and eyeing up army barracks there. My word. I mean, bases at, in Hesse, Baden-Württemberg and Bavaria were all inspected for possible use after the government was overthrown. Now, this is, this is completely mental. Uh, one of these, under investigation, had been a member of the Special Commando Forces. Police searched his home and his room at the Graf Zeppelin military base in Karlov, southwest of Stuttgart. I mean, this goes on and on. This is... I mean, I want to stop and, and move away, but this is mental. Um, Vitalia B., a Russian woman who is also listed as a suspect, was asked to approach Moscow on Prince Heinrich's behalf. The Russian embassy in Berlin said in a statement it did not maintain contact with representatives of terrorist groups and other illegal entities. God, the Russians look like the good guys in that one. I mean, this is all fascinating and and sort of from a, a purely investigative point, it's it's giving me sort of a smile to think, well, hang on, look, look at all this stuff that's unravelling just from one raid. But in a real serious note, there have been several violent attacks uh, linked to Germany's far right in recent years. The Reichsbürger movement uh, having 21,000 followers, of whom sort of 5% belong to the extreme right, uh, that has real potential. A Reichsburger member themselves was jailed for killing a police officer in 2016, and in 2020, a 43-year-old man shot dead nine people of foreign origin in the western town of Hanau. So this, whilst it, it seems sort of ludicrous in thinking about a, an aristocratic coup in modern Germany, um, maybe isn't quite as uh, as out of place as it seems, which is really quite horrible uh, to think about because there would be there would be real danger of of this uh, spreading because the Reichsburger whilst they have been sort of dismissed as crackpots a source of national derision um, there is now a, a real sense of, of trepidation and danger these Reichsburger members are looking more and more dangerous. Um, we've seen that whilst there's no national organised movement, some have been printing their own currency, they've been making identity cards, they dream of their own autonomous state. Uh, a group calling itself the Königreich Deutschland bought two peaches of, uh, peaches, pieces of land in Saxony 
upon which they intend to create their own self-administered state. Um, some refuse to pay tax. Some clog up the administrative systems of local governments. Some own guns. Some own guns illegally. Um, and they have links to the German military. Military links within a potentially violent political group in the in the nation is always a worry. Now, Reichsburger members demonstrated alongside anti-vaxxers, COVID deniers, QAnon supporters. Um, they were there when a mob from a COVID demonstration tried to storm the Bundestag in August 2020. Now, conspiracy theories are permeating German society. Uh, quite deeply, it would appear now, with Heinrich Thirteenth reportedly being taken in by such a conspiracy theory in order to uh, to to lead up this this coup. So, I mean, it's it's quite simply mental to think that in in the modern day, um, it's 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 astounding, realistically. Right, let's try and change the mood. Let's make it nice and fun and light again, please. Oh, gosh, why do all my shows end up going down a dark rabbit hole? Uh, let's make this one substantially lighter, as I invite you to to join with the great Sir Elton John. Oh, yeah. One of the best Christmas songs. One of the best upbeat Christmas songs around. We'll see you after this. This is Step Into Christmas. Enjoy. All night long. Uh, you shook me all night long, rather, by ACDC, preceded by Step Into Christmas, Elton John, bringing you some festive tunes, but it's not all festive. Sometimes we get all sorts of different requests coming in. Don't worry. Requests are on their way as well. Um, I've, I've found my way through to, to some other of the, the music that has made it there. Uh, we've got some Michael Bublé on the way. We've got some Mariah Carey. Of course we've got Mariah Carey on the way. How could we not have Mariah Carey on the way? In fact, I think that's probably going to be the the next song. We've also got an old favourite. So you never know. If you if you want to hear uh, your choice of song on the radio, get in touch. 01392723568, the number to call if you want to hear your voice on the radio. If you want to get in touch... If you've got any personal contact information of mine, then feel free to abuse that until the cows come home. Um, other than that, at politics.unboxed on Instagram, at politicsu on Twitter, politicsunboxed on um, oh, the other one, Facebook. That's the word. You can always get in touch by email, but I won't be able to read your emails until I get back to my laptop, because uh, that's not with me in the studio today. Right. Let's have another chat about some more of these political stories because that's what you're here for. We've got some songs on the way, but we've got politics whilst we are waiting. Let's talk about the storm at Northern Irish Assembly because there was a recall today. Um, Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill opened today's recall proceedings by saying the DUP should be ashamed, adding that Northern Ireland should not be left to the mercy of the Conservative government. For those of you not quite up to speed with the Stormont situation, uh, it's been sort of non-functional for months. Um, 
it's the DUP have refused to support uh, a new speaker of the executive over their opposition to the Northern Ireland Protocol, which oversees post-Brexit trading arrangements for Northern Ireland. So that's the NIGB trade borders that we've heard so much about. Remember when Boris Johnson promised us we would see no GBNI trade barriers? Yeah, I remember that as well. Uh, but it, it hasn't happened. There was an election in May which saw Sinn Féin win the largest number of seats with the DUP in second. But the DUP don't want to play ball. They don't like the Northern Ireland Protocol, therefore they're not there. Uh, Gordon Lyons from the DUP said that they recognised the dire situation faced by many people. They urged the UK government to step in and offer support. But Kelly Armstrong of the Cross Community Alliance Party has accused the DUP of using ordinary people as leverage, saying it's unacceptable for people to wait in poverty due to a lack of an assembly. Doug Beatty, uh, who from the, the Ulster Unionist Party, I believe there. Um, yes, it, it is actually. It's... I think it's Doug Beatty from the Ulster Unionist Party. Um, the, the the name of his party escapes me. Anyway, has called both the DUP and Sinn Féin two sides of the same damn coin with those parties pushing Northern Ireland into the dirt. Um, now, a comment from Mr Beatty accused members of the DUP of screaming and whinging like a little girl from the sidelines. That led to Edwin Poots, who up until recently was the DUP's leader, calling Mr. Beatty a disgrace to unionism. Oh, there we are. Um, he is the, the UUP leader. Now, Doug Beatty has not exactly brought things forward uh, for the Ulster Unionist Party. The Ulster Unionist Party uh, very much a damaged political force still in Northern Ireland. Uh, but it looks like they could be making a few gains against the DUP, but not at this particular moment. The SDLP, uh, Social Democratic and Labour Party, have put forward uh, a candidate for Speaker, Patsy McGlone. Uh, she failed to get the nominations across for uh, sufficient cross-community support in order to sit as Speaker. And the Ulster Unionist Party's Mike Nesbitt also was put forward with a, a nomination they failed to gather the sufficient support as well. And without a speaker and deputy speakers, no business can actually happen at Stormont, which means that the assembly is no closer to being restored in Stormont. Um, there is no sort of hint of the DUP climbing down from the high horse they're currently on. Gordon Lyons doubled down on his party standoff. He had some stinging digs at the Sinn Féin benches during this time. Um, assembly members sort of left the chamber as they entered it. No closer to restoring Stormont institutions. They should be braced for a pay cut because whilst they haven't been working so far, uh, they've still been able to claim all of their £51,500 per year. But the executive formation bill which is being pushed through by the Northern Ireland office and Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris uh, has given the Northern Ireland Secretary the power to cut the pay of 90 Assembly members or MLAs as they are in Northern Ireland, going down to £37,337. It also means the Secretary of State is under a legal obligation to call a fresh Stormont election, so another election to people of Northern Ireland, that means that every year um, 
I believe, aside from 2020, since 2015, the people of Northern Ireland have had an election on either a whole of Northern Ireland or a whole of the UK basis. Of course, we have 2015, we have the, the general election, 2016 Brexit, 2017 general election, 2018 Northern Ireland Assembly, 2019 Northern Ireland Assembly, 2021 Northern Ireland Assembly, 2022 Northern Ireland Assembly. Uh, sorry, 2019 uh, general election. What am I on about there? Um, it, it's really asking only a couple of questions now of the, the, the Northern Irish people. Where do they want their laws made? Because if Stormont isn't sitting, then they're being made in the United Kingdom's Parliament in Westminster, which when people have been fighting very hard for devolution, um, it, it hasn't exactly had the, the response people are wanting. Sinn Féin were trying to get it back. They proposed a motion to debate the cost of living crisis. It was backed by the SDLP and the Alliance Party. But it's it's just not going forward. There's also going to be a new law, the Culture, Language and Identity Bill, which has received royal assent on Tuesday. Uh, it will give the Irish language official status, allow the use of Irish in courts and see the appointment of Irish and Ulster Scots slash Ulster British commissioners so this is how the 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 gaelic language or the irish language in northern ireland will actually be uh, protected which was a big part of why the assembly fell apart in the first place all those years ago when it fell apart for the first time in in 2017 it was an irish language act now the the dup and, and Sinn Féin look like they're going to be banging their heads against this issue for quite a while. Uh, it followed a familiar path with scripted lines and a conclusion that, well, was about as promising as Liz Truss's prime ministership. But at least now the UK government seem ready to act. So hopefully we will see a resolution to this soon. I'd imagine there was going to be a sixth recall and a seventh, possibly even an eighth recall. Uh, before that April election, but I I don't see it having much of an impact there, which is a real shame because again, the the people of Northern Ireland are being very poorly represented at the moment by their representatives, and it's not all of the representatives' faults, and it, it really just isn't quite the, uh, the the way that people want to to be being represented, especially when there are much better options available for them. Let's have a look at another one uh, of the issues that I said we'd be talking about on today's show because a bill designed to raise education standards across England has been dropped. The schools bill, which was part of the government's uh, most recent set of, of legislative agendas, included plans for a register of children not in school and for all schools to become part of multi-academy trusts. Now, it was introduced this year, but Julian Keegan, the new education secretary, has said parts of the government's plan did not need legislation and were being implemented. Now, a head teachers' union has said that it hopes a register for children could still be introduced, but speaking to members of parliament yesterday, Ms Keegan confirmed the bill will not be progressing to its third reading in the House of Lords, with parliamentary time being reprioritised, according to Miss Keegan. Um, 
ministers will remain committed to the objectives of the school bill and are prioritising some aspects of the bill as well to see what we can do, according to the Education Secretary, saying that a lot of the school's white paper is being implemented and doesn't require legislation. Uh, a register of children not in school is definitely a priority, and Robin Walker, chairman of the Education Select Committee of M- MPs, has said he wants to hear how that could be legislated for instead. Um, now, the plan that's really got such a a backlash is this target for all schools to become part of academies, which hit hurdles in the House of Lords with peers calling such proposals a power grab that gives the government too much control. In June, the government gutted its own bill, removing 18 clauses relating to the regulation of academies and have been due to come back with some new proposals. Until now. Uh, The scrapping of the bill, however, is likely to disappoint a lot of Conservative members of Parliament. They've been hoping to use this bill as a way to overturn a ban on new grammar schools, which both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss had sort of sounded off as as, uh, hopeful for and looking like they were trying to do when they last had uh, a big old election battle. Remember all that time ago, back in, what was it, July? Um, Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous that we've now seen both of those people fight for 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 this bill to go through, and it's now not going through. Um, obviously, we we understand that there are uh, reasons for that. Tackling the rising cost of living, um, pandemic aftershocks, the war in Ukraine mean that parliamentary time is now much more scarce. But come on. At least pretend to have the backbone to go through with some of these things if you're going to campaign on them. It doesn't seem like too much of an outlandish suggestion, does it? Um, I don't know. Let's see what we can also talk about. Um, And again, I I know that this isn't all sort of the fun, happy, uh, let's go and, and sing Kumbaya around a fire, but unfortunately... That's just not the way the world is working at the moment. I was thinking maybe I'd talk about sort of Kanye West, but I, I don't really want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I just don't know enough about what the artist has been saying. But I do know that as a radio station, Expression of Emma decided to take him off the air. Um, and I think given the, the backlash it's been seen, Absolutely correct to do so. Fully stand by that decision as a radio station. Let's pivot. Let's pivot all the way to a completely different policy. Now, we talked about China a little bit last week um, with the the death of one of their supreme leaders or their former supreme leaders. Um, Now, China has done a U-turn and is lifting one of its most severe COVID policies which is the, uh, the the zero COVID strategy. Now, there had been harsh protests, sorry, sharp protests against the zero COVID policy. China has now scrapped its harshest bits of legislation. Uh, it's lifting those severe policies, which include forcing people into quarantine camps just a week after those protests. People who contract coronavirus can now isolate at home rather than in state facilities if they have mild or no symptoms. And they also no longer need to show tests for most venues and can travel much more freely inside the country. There is widespread relief about these changes. 
but also concern. Um, why has this change been so sudden and so major, one person wrote on Chinese social media. Whatever it is, the sweeping changes indicate China is finally ready to depart from its zero COVID policy and learn how to live with the virus, as has been the tagline for the rest of the world. This coming as the day the country is grappling with its biggest wave of infections that they've ever seen. More than 30,000 new infections are being registered in China each day. And yes, it's a country of 1.6, 1.7 billion people. But still, 30,000 new infections a day is no small number. Some users on Chinese social media have questioned the accelerated opening up, saying the medical system is going to be overwhelmed. Uh, some calling comparisons to uh, the early parts of the British pandemic, uh, not directly, but saying many elderly are going to be infected. Uh, it all begins now, one user wrote. But with a policy that has controlled the Chinese citizenry for nearly three years, forcing people with COVID to go into quarantine camps and anyone who was a close contact of them. In a deeply unpopular policy that separated families and forced people out of their homes, there is uh, a, a sort of mood of rejoicing and finally saying, look, maybe it's all been worth it, maybe it hasn't, but whatever it is, we're, we're free. Um, videos all year have been showing guards dragging people out of their homes after they refused to go, with viral footage from Hangzhou showing a, a man last week fighting off officials. China's National Health Commission announced a swathe of other new freedoms on Wednesday as well. It said they aim to decrease testing with lateral flow tests replacing PCR in most, results, in most scenarios rather where a result is needed. However, PCRs are still going to be needed for schools, hospitals and nursing homes in something that we never really did. Certainly not for schools, hospitals and nursing homes, potentially slightly different. Uh, lockdowns are going to continue, but are now going to be targeted areas. So maybe just certain buildings, certain units or certain floors, rather than shutting it down neighborhood by neighborhood or city by city. Uh, high risk areas should come out of lockdown in five days if no new cases are found. Now, we've seen several cities in China. They've been undergoing month-long lockdowns this year, even with only a handful of cases. Now, this is uh, massive, massive, massive news in China, and it's going to be welcomed very, very widely. Uh, we've also seen people locked in their homes during an earthquake and people sealing buildings under lockdown measures to make sure uh, that they couldn't get out through escape routes. New guidelines include a strict ban on blocking any fire exits and doors, as it says that people have to be able to access emergency medical treatment and have escape routes unhindered by pandemic measures. Um, there was a deadly fire in western Xinjiang region, with critics saying victims have been unable to escape the building because of lockdown measures. Now, Beijing denies this. But uh, one of the victim's daughters has blamed the government's COVID laws for the wider disaster. This is undoubtedly a positive. However, what does this sort of reactionary step show about the Chinese state? And if it shows a weakening of the Chinese state, what does that mean for the future of, of law enforcement going forward? Xi Jinping has already shown himself to be quite erratic when backed into a corner. Uh, I don't know whether... We want to see what that looks like. Something we do all want to hear, though, is a bit more Christmas music. So without any further ado, I'm going to stop my talking and I'll play one of the most iconic Christmas songs ever. And I would say one of the two most iconic Christmas songs 
to never make it to UK Christmas number one. Take it away, Mariah. Winter's Tale by David Essex, followed there, of course, by Leona Lewis. One more sleep. Now, it may not quite be one more sleep until Christmas, but it is just four more sleeps until I'm next on the air. Every Sunday from 9 till 10 p.m., bringing you through the last seven days and the week ahead. Catch all that and more on the Sunday Digest, hosted by Reese Wallace. Shameless bit of self-promotion there. That sort of had to be done. Uh, you can't not use your one show to plug the other show, really. Come on, it's just, it's the done thing, isn't it? Um, but that being said, we're coming towards the end of this show, which I'm really, really sad about because I always enjoy talking to the lovely, lovely listeners that we have on Expression FM every Wednesday, 2 till 4. Join me next week for Politics Unboxed, where it's my last show of the term for Politics Unboxed. And actually, that one might be my last show of the term, in total, Uh, which seems very weird to say, but it is the 7th of December. It's just gone uh, 5 to 4. So I'm going to leave you. Uh, Thank you very much for sticking with me for the last couple of hours, or if you only just joined us, thank you for staying around for as long as you have already. Um, I teased this song a little bit earlier. I've only gone and found it. And there will be a dance routine to this, don't you worry. There will be a dance routine. Um, It is, of course... Well, actually, I'll let you figure out. From the Love Actually soundtrack, again... I'll be dancing my little socks off to this as we head into the next show. Do stick around for the Afrobeat Hour, hosted by Jemima at 5. Word of mouth with Alfie and Tilda, bringing you through the rest of the day at 6. 7 o'clock, Bates Beats, that's Emma. She's back after taking some time away to be in a drama show. And then Themes and Memes with James and James is 8 till 9. But apart from that, I look forward hoping, hopefully, hopefully, blimey, this radio stuff's really getting to me, isn't it? I look forward to, hopefully, seeing you in our listener figures for Sunday's show. Remember, 9 till 10 on Expression FM. Or, if you can, next week, Wednesday, 2 till 4. But for now, I think I'll leave you with the Pointer Sisters. From an amazing time in movie history, music history. Just a great song, isn't it? I can see Hugh Grant dancing away. I'm going to join him. See you soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>